From the Clark Ford Studio in Oxford, Mississippi, MVW Digital proudly presents the Oxford Exxon Podcast. I'd say thanks for tuning in, but why am I going to give you a round of applause for something you're supposed to do, to be frank? And now, here are your hosts, Chase Parm. And broadcast school has really paid off. And Neil McCready. I deserve to be on TV. Welcome into the Tuesday, May 26th edition of the Oxford Exxon Podcast. Hope you had a great Memorial Day weekend. I'm Neil McCready. Uh, I've got two interviews for you today on the show. Will Salmon covers the Milwaukee Brewers for The Athletic. You probably remember Will as a Mississippi State beat writer, as a University of Florida beat writer. We talk a lot of SEC football. We talk about the dynamics of the Mississippi State beat. We kind of talk some journalism. We talk about the Gators. We talk about Lane Kiffin. And uh, we do talk a little bit about uh, Major League Baseball's attempt to get back onto the playing field at some point uh, this summer. I'll go ahead and tell you that Will's pretty optimistic that baseball uh, will be played there at Miller Park in Milwaukee, which means it's being played all over the majors, which would be uh, great news. Big week in Major League Baseball in that regard. The players and the owners exchanging proposals, and it's been pretty nasty, but I think everyone around that sport agrees that they've got to reach a common ground. They've got to do it soon because June is right around the corner, and that means they've got to have uh, some some preparation. If they're going to start a 82-game season in July as planned, they've got to get moving. They've got to get resolution this week, and um, I think that's what you're going to see uh, them attempt to, to do. So we'll we'll talk to Will Salmon about that as well, and then we will have our third visit uh, from uh, Dr. Michael Cunningham, who uh, is kind enough to uh, spend some time with me on Sunday evening uh, from his uh, family's uh, place in Colorado. He's out there on vacation, as you've probably seen at rebelgrove.com. He's been updating rebelgrove.com every day with uh, COVID-19 statistics and analysis He's very optimistic about what's happening with uh, the virus and what it means for us as we uh, get into the summer and we start thinking about the fall and college football and the NFL and and, um, all of those things. So we'll talk to both Will and uh, Dr. Michael Cunningham in just a few minutes. First, I want to tell you about the Oxford Exxon. It's Highway 6 West in Oxford. Uh, Download the Speed Pass Plus app. Say that a few times fast. Speed Pass Plus app. You can uh, handle all of your filling up your, your vehicle without touching anything. If you're uh, if you're concerned about the virus, you're concerned just about uh, sanitation, you can do that. It's super easy. You can also go into the Oxford Exxon. They keep it absolutely spotless in there. Great uh, snack selection, uh, daiquiris, beer. Uh, they've got the ribs. A lot of you probably enjoyed the ribs over the course of Memorial Day weekend. They've still got them. The uh, dry ribs, wet ribs, it's all there. Plate lunches and more at the Oxford Exxon. It's right next door to the Oxford Crystal. They're on Highway 6 West and Oxford. uh, drive throughs open, delivery as well. They've got the new Hangover Crystal, the Bacon, Egg, and Cheese Crystal. It's $1.69 and available all day. They've got the new Peach Slushy as it starts to get hot outside. And uh, they've got the Banana Pudding Shake. They've got uh, the fresh cracked egg biscuits, bacon, egg, and cheese biscuits, sausage, egg, and cheese biscuit, and more there at the Oxford Crystal right next door to the Oxford Exxon. I'm coming to you from the Clark Ford Studios, Clark Ford's in Amory, Mississippi, 662-257-1900. Call that number, ask for Corey Clark, tell Corey what Ford product you're looking for. He'll send you a quote within 15 minutes in business hours. Right to the bottom line, no haggle, no hassle. You get your quote. 
and the rest is absolutely up to you. You can shop that quote around, or you can let Corey and the people at Clark Ford take uh, care of you. They, uh, Corey wants to be a car guy. He wants to be a truck guy. He'll prove that to you when you make the call, 662-257-1900. Guests will join us all week on the Oxford Exxon podcast and on our uh, network of podcasts on the Rafters Music and Food Hotline. Rafters on the Water is open. It's located at the Sardis Marina. You can come experience outdoor dining unlike any place in North Mississippi. They opened up on uh, Friday full scale for good, so uh, they're back. The menu offers shrimp, Mississippi catfish platters, along with gourmet burgers, Louisiana-style po'boys served on Leidenheimer French bread. The hours are Wednesday and Thursday from 3.30 to 10, Friday and Sunday from 11 a.m. to 10 p.m. They've got a newly expanded picnic-style dining area, signature appetizers including Zydeco shrimp, crawfish egg rolls, Live music uh, is coming soon. They also have uh, fun cocktails, including their famous house frozen margaritas. They've got to-go options. They've got curbside pickup available as well. To get, to get Use that is 662-712-6162. Uh, on Rebel Grove, I've got my 10-weekend uh, thoughts are up. There's a, a couple of recruiting stories. Uh, Ole Miss got a couple of commitments over the weekend. We are on Fabian Lovett watch right now. Anticipate that at some point soon we will hear that he has transferred to Ole Miss and has signed papers. It might have already happened. It's just information that I'm unable to confirm. I asked about it a little bit yesterday and just got nowhere. I think it's. Um, I think there's a process, and I think Ole Miss and he are involved in the process. That's my opinion but uh, don't have any concrete information that anything has happened. But we're watching for Fabian Lovett, the former Mississippi State defensive tackle. Uh, fully, Zach Barry and I fully anticipate that he is going to uh, sign with, transfer to, and sign with Ole Miss uh, very soon, maybe any, any day now. So uh, we're watching that at rebelgrove.com. Uh, I'll have a mailbag up to you tomorrow. We'll have uh, food for thought on Friday. Ten weekend thoughts on Sunday. Just getting through another week of pandemic. Ole Miss expected to begin bringing uh, football players to campus on June the 8th, like most SEC schools. So that's coming. We're getting closer to the part of the football season where there might actually be some news, players back on campus, that kind of thing. And uh, we'll have full coverage of that for you as much as we can, at least at rebelgrove.com. It's part of the Rivals Network. If you don't subscribe, now's a great time to subscribe. There's a uh, a code you can enter. You can see it on the site where you can get uh, $50 worth of team gear from uh, the Rivals t- t- Rivals Fan Shop when you uh, when you subscribe to rebelgrove.com. So without further ado, we'll go to Will Salmon now. Will Salmon covers the Milwaukee Brewers for The Athletic, and he and I spoke this morning for about 45 minutes. Hope you'll enjoy it. Will Salmon of The Athletic joins us. Uh, Will, you, you, you dream of a baseball job. You, you you finally put yourself out there. You get a Major League Baseball beat covering the Milwaukee Brewers. I told my son Carson about it. I'm like, hey, you know, my friend Will's covering the Brewers now. And he says, I hope he doesn't ever get to cover the playoffs. And I said, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I laughed. But anyway, I was like, not, not only that, he's not getting to cover anything much right now. That's got to be a weird feeling for you to – you get this baseball gig, you go to spring training, you start kind of learning the – the roster, learning the people, learning all the things that you need to learn to be able to cover a, a major league baseball team over a 162 game schedule, and then the uh, the COVID pandemic hits, and here we are recording this on May the 26th, and and there's there's no baseball, at least not immediately in sight. 
Yeah, Neil, not exactly how I drew things up when I said yes to this to this gig. <laughs> but you know, it was it was always a little bit wild, though I should say, just because. Look, I was covering the Florida Gators for the Athletic, as a lot of people who are probably listening to this already know. So I was covering the Gators, and the Athletic and I both thought that it made sense for me to stay on through signing day, just because of how big, even though December takes away a lot of that these days, of course, the February signing day is still an important date on the calendar for college football. And it especially was just a couple of months ago for Florida, just for them specifically, for what they were doing. And so I stayed on, and spring training, of course, starts like a week and a half later. And so I actually went to spring training in Arizona, right from where I was living in Gainesville. And then after about a week and a half, two weeks in Arizona, I went back to Florida, then drove to Wisconsin to, to actually move. And then I went back to Arizona and then after about five or six days, that's when the shutdown occurred. So it was always supposed to be a little bit crazy and clunky, but certainly not, certainly not this way, of course. But yeah, it's it's been it's been interesting just because it's the one thing I'll say though um, is that the time has allowed me to catch my breath a little bit and understand a lot more about the beat and the team and the league and the history which, like I outlined just before, I wasn't really able to do that. Obviously, I followed baseball my whole life, but it wasn't as if I watched all 162 of the Brewers last season, or 163 if you include the wild card. So, you know, I, I wasn't, like, watching all of it, of course. So it, it, that's kind of like a, the weird silver, silver lining, if there is any here. Yeah, I told you this in a, in a DM when you got the job. I'll say it here because I'm, I'm, I'm older than you. You're, you're still a young guy. You're super talented. I've always followed your work when you were covering state, when you were covering Florida. And I had no idea really that that was something that, that you wanted to do. It was funny because it takes, I'm guessing it took some real courage on your part. I mean, it took some soul searching too, um, because you're really good at, at college football. You, you, you knew you were really connected with, with Florida because obviously you, you, uh, you covered a staff at, at Mississippi State that then went to Florida. You knew a lot of people there. You knew the dynamics of the league. You were probably learning Florida pretty well because uh, I think in many ways if you've covered one SEC team, you've sort of covered them all. Um, to, to, to abandon that comfort zone, to chase a, to chase a dream, it, it took a lot of courage. I was really proud of you. I told you that it was something that when I was probably your age-ish, it was something that uh, there were a couple opportunities that I had to at least explore, and I didn't do it, and, and I've always kind of regretted it, really. And, and then once you get to a point where you, your kids are a certain age, it doesn't even make sense anymore. Um, take me inside sort of that decision. I mean, was it, was it a no-brainer, or did, did, you, did you sort of rack your brain about it? No, I struggled with it, and up until recently, really, I still struggled with it. I still looked back, and I still thought, even as of like three or four weeks ago, I was like, you know, did I make the right decision? And of course, this is a whole different set of circumstances. And it's really not fair to review a decision based through this lens, of course. And after I realized that, I stopped doing it. But, uh, you know, it was really a hard decision for me. And the funny part is, uh, a funny aspect of it is, a lot of times, like you mentioned, and thanks for, for being kind, but sometimes like around this time, like last year, like, I'd be sitting in my place in Gainesville, and I'd be watching, like, a baseball game, and it's, like, beautiful out, 
and I've already finished my work really for the week probably, and it's just like a random Tuesday, and I'm just looking around and I'm like, is this it? Like, is it? <laughs> yeah. There has to be a little bit like this. This is kind of. I don't want to say it's too easy, but it's like, is uh, like there's there's something missing here because I don't really feel like I feel like I'm doing good work. It's fun. It's enjoyable, but I'm not exactly being pushed, and that was part of it. And look, I didn't really like I outlined before. I didn't grow up watching the Brewers by any means, but they're they're a cool team to follow, and. All that to say, they weren't going to be the first team that came to my mind to cover, primarily because I didn't want to live in the cold weather, uh, selfishly. But I, I had this thing in my head, like, okay, if it's close, you just got to, like, swing the bat, for lack of a better example or way to put that. But it was close for me. It was close to exactly what I've always wanted to do as as small as those dreams may sound to somebody listening to this, <laughs> it's, it's, it's what I wanted to do. Um, and so I think that you kind of have to say to yourself, okay, this is a really cool job that I have currently. It's like you outlined, it, it's something where I'm pretty connected. I get good stories. I'm able to do the job effectively. A big part of me was always going to say, well, what if? And I just didn't want to say what if to myself anymore. I really didn't. I was getting sick of that. And so I said, this is going to be it. This is going to be the time where I stop saying what if I stop playing that game in my head and I just go after it. Yeah, it's it's. we're going to get journalism wonky for a minute. I promise we'll get to some other stuff. I, I just think it's kind of, it's it's fascinating really because, you know, you, I know exactly what you're talking about. That summertime when you're sitting there and over the years, I mean, Years ago, when I, when I was covering Auburn in 1999, 2000, 2001, there was a level of access that was such that, that we could really tell stories. You could, you could tell a player's story. You could, you could dig in and, and get some things. And you still can, but now when you do it as a college beat writer, there's almost a, a pushback from the institution a little bit. Like, why are you, why are you doing this? I mean, like for me, if, if – I could. There's really nothing stopping me today from contacting 20 Ole Miss football players and and getting comments from them about, hey, how do you feel about returning? You know, are you excited? Are you nervous? Are you worried about the COVID stuff? Whatever. How's your family feel? If, but if I do that, the people at Ole Miss are going to lose their minds because I'm breaking the rules, and so I can go around them and I can talk to players' parents, and then it just it it it's there's a there's a certain it's not that like I'm adversarial with Ole Miss or that you were adversarial with Florida when you were covering them or whatnot, because it's not that at all, but it's just, it's different. And so I look at Major League Baseball, especially as someone who grew up watching the Cubs every day, kind of marking the time with the Cubs every single year. And I always would think, and I didn't want to cover the Cubs. I wanted to cover somebody besides the Cubs because I didn't want fandom to be a part of it, but I wanted to tell a I wanted to be able to tell the story of a season because a season is so long and a major league baseball season, even if you're covering a very average team, that, that team's going to have a period of time during that season where they're one of the best three or four teams in baseball. And they're going to have a time during the season, even for a great team, when they're one of the three or four worst teams in baseball, there's going to be adversity. There's going to be injuries. There's going to be uh, peaks and valleys, and there's lots of different personalities, people that come from all over and, your ability to tell stories and to, and to weave them into context gets challenged, I think, on a baseball beat more than any other beat. It was why I always, 
it was a challenge that I always wanted to do. I always thought how cool that would be. And so whenever I see people like you or uh, Trent Rosecrans, uh, guys like that who, who jump into it and do it, I'm always like so pumped for you. I sort of live vicariously through your work a little bit because I want to see like how it was going. Like I was following a lot of your stuff with, uh, with the Brewers just because I was like, I wonder how what that's like. I mean, you're walking into a – like you're competing against a guy like Adam McAlvey who's been covering that beat, I mean, God – three decades or so i mean he's been around he knows everybody there i mean you're, you're having to walk in and and there's ryan brown and there's ryan uh, braun and, and christian yelich and, and all these people and, and you're you're trying to break in and do this on the fly i just thought it was i kept thinking man i bet that's i bet it's kind of intimidating kind of fun there's a lot of emotions there there are it's not easy <laughs> it's not easy because and those guys that you mentioned adam mccallaby who's at mlb.com has been covering the team since 01 Tom Hodricourt's the beat guy here for the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel, which is the local newspaper here, and he's been doing it since the mid-1980s. No exaggeration. So, and these guys are good. They're not just hanging around. They're, they're good at what they do. So it's like, okay, here I am. 2020 is my first season. <laughs> it's like, it, it, it's, it's all those emotions that you listed, plus a few others, where you go through doubt, you say to yourself, okay, I'll, I'm, I'm new and fresh, and you have those ideas where you're all positive. So I try to stay as best as I can, even keel, but I'm just really not wired that way. So there are some days that are kind of extreme one way or the other, unfortunately. And it's tough, man. It, it, it can be pretty tough. So I don't know. You just kind of go in with a plan. Um, the one thing that you mentioned, that you, you mentioned a lot of different things that appealed to me. One other thing was just like the level of professionalism, I think, is pretty obvious because you're just dealing with guys who are in their 20s or 30s as opposed to and I know you don't cover it as much as other people but the recruiting aspect was always a huge deal for me yeah I felt like I had to cover recruiting because I don't I didn't have any help really on on the beats that I had in, in college football like it was just it was just me and so if I didn't cover that recruiting story I didn't have somebody else who did so I had to do it and it gets a little bit I love I still follow it I still follow recruiting but I don't want to talk to, say, a 17-year-old about it. Um, I just don't. Uh, and he's not a good interview, and the depth of the story isn't usually there. You try your best to make it, but it's just chances are it's just not going to happen for you. <laughs> it's just yeah. not going to be all that interesting. So. Ole Miss got a commitment from a, an offensive lineman from uh, Huntsville, Alabama, the other day. Perfectly nice young man. But like you said, he's 17. Uh, there wasn't a lot that he could say, honestly. You know, it's, hey, what was it about Ole Miss? And he gives me an answer, and you talk a little bit more, and you're trying just to pull another couple quotes out of him. And he's just a kid, and I, I live with a 17-year-old kid. I, I know how that is. And so I'm, there's a part of me that feels creepy. It's it's weird. As, as my kids have gotten older, and as I'm now talking to kids who are the same age as my kids, I have to overcome the creepiness part of it in my mind. Like, this is creepy, and then I'm like, but you're not a creep. You're not creeping the kid. Like, I will literally begin a, a recruiting interview with, uh, we'll be done in three minutes or less. Three minutes or less. If we get to three minutes, just hang up. And the kids don't believe you because that makes you know that they're talking to other people in our field who are keeping these 17-year-old boys on the phone for 30 minutes or more. I, I think – if you told me I had to talk to some random high school kid who I don't know, and we had to talk for 30 minutes, I'd be scared to death. I, I don't know. What in the world would we talk about? And then you finally, at the end of it, you'll ask a kid, like after you've talked to him a few times, near the end of the process or once the process is over, 
hey, did, did so-and-so keep you on the phone a long time? And, and they'll <laughs> always inevitably say, yeah, you couldn't get off. And I got to where I just didn't take calls because they can't differentiate between all of us. They don't – and why should they? I mean, there's there's no reason for them to be like, okay, this is the guy from Rivals, and this is the guy from 24-7, and this is the guy that covers Tennessee, and this is the guy that covers Florida. That's too much. They're, they're kids. They're 17-year-old kids with busy schedules, and they're in class, and they've got friends and all that stuff going on, so they just stop taking calls entirely, and, and it it's the part of it. I don't, I don't hate it. People think, oh, you hate recruiting. I don't hate recruiting. I just – what you just described it's the from a from a journalism standpoint it's not particularly fulfilling the oxford exxon podcast is also brought to you by the iron horse grill it specializes in on-site large event catering for up to 250 people and off-site full catering services especially beverage catering one day we're going to get back to normal when we do a lot of parties to catch up on a lot of get-togethers uh that will need to take place that will want to take place wedding receptions rehearsal dinners graduation celebrations and more and the iron horse grill is your answer to be able to enjoy that moment it's a one-stop shop for beverage services for a 250 to 500 person wedding or even a 3500 person gala it's the largest beverage caterer in mississippi it can service the entire state so call sarah black at 601-398-0151 for your catering needs and knock that off your worry list let the iron horse grill Make your event one that is memorable forever. Uh, we're also brought to you by Dead Soxy. We've been telling you about this is an incredibly strange time. We're all living in millions of us all over the world been impacted by these unusual events. And the Dead Soxy team hasn't been immune to that situation either. Uh, they've uh, faced some tough choices. And what they've done is instead of cutting cost and jobs, they're thinking about things a little differently. They want to keep their team intact, paid, and employed. And they need your help to make it happen. In the spirit of people helping people, they've decided to run a first-of-its-kind support sale. They have slashed their prices site-wide, $6, $9, $11 a pair. They'd rather you get their socks discounted so they can keep paying their team rather than worrying about margins at times like this. It's deadsoxy.com, D-E-A-D-S-O-X-Y.com. We're also brought to you by Nest and Wild. Sleep better with a Nest and Wild mattress. It's a Mississippi-based mattress company making a high-quality mattress delivered right to your door. They make buying a new mattress easy. Every Nest and Wild mattress is one foot thick, giving you comfort and support that will last. A lot of online brands sell an 8-inch or 10-inch mattress, but not Nest and Wild. Every one is 12 inches thick. They're all American-made, and it's a uh, fantastic deal because we're throwing in a podcast discount. Go to nestandwild.com, order your mattress, enter the podcast code REBEL20, that's REBEL20, get 20% off your purchase. Your mattress will arrive at your door in three to five days. Brought to you by Pinnacle Trust. Pinnacle Trust, based in Madison, Mississippi. They've got clients in more than 20 states, advisors in multiple states as well. Founded in 1997, Pinnacle Trust provides detailed, specialized investment management, financial planning, retirement planning for individuals and businesses, and much more. At Pinnacle Trust, investing is treated like a commodity. Decisions are made using objective information and research, not emotions. So regardless of your level of wealth, Pinnacle Trust will sit down with you, listen to your goals, study your expenses, and put forth a comprehensive, detailed financial and retirement plan built just for you. Cookie-cutter financial planners put you in a box. Pinnacle Trust builds a box just for you. To learn more, go to Pintrust.com. That's P-I-N-N-Trust.com. Mention you heard about Pinnacle Trust on the podcast. You'll get 10% off your first year's fees. 
And we're brought to you by Grenada Nissan. If you're in the market for a Nissan vehicle, Grenada Nissan's the place to go. They've got a complete selection of new and previously owned Nissan vehicles. Great lease deals as well. Been with us a long time. We'd appreciate you staying uh, loyal to them as well here in these weird times. You're in a, you, you want a Nissan vehicle, Grenada Nissan is where you need to head. It's Grenada GrenadaNissanUSA.com. No, it's not. But I do love following it, though, from afar. Like, I love, I just love the drama. I, I love the drama that goes into it. I always, that always appealed to me, especially in Mississippi, just because it's really combative and it's one versus the other a lot of these times. And you're kind of, you know, the kids are kind of torn between it in a lot of cases because although some, most, I guess, uh, grow up a fan one way or the other, I think a lot of them by high school sort of say to themselves, okay, it, one either doesn't like me more or one is a better fit. I think for the most part, people, guys make that in their mind of where they, I guess they get a, a greater sensibility of, of how things are working out for them. Um, but they do grow up with that fanhood and a lot, sometimes they want to go to one or the other. And, and a lot of times people don't even know that over there until like later in the process. And that's always kind of fun. So I enjoy following it. It's just, do I, I just don't really necessarily have a desire to get my hands dirty with it. So last week, you, you set me up for this, so I'll go there. And I, I, I did ask you beforehand, would this make you uncomfortable? And you said no. So when people think, oh, God, I can't believe he's doing this, we, we touched this base before we started. Uh, last week was a weird week on the beat. Uh, Ole Miss has uh, – one kid has already transferred from Mississippi State to Ole Miss, Jerry and Jones. Another, uh, it, it seems at this point, inevitable. If it has not already happened, it's going to happen. I think Ole Miss might be dotting some I's and crossing some T's. And there are some rumblings that another player, maybe another two players, are, are looking to transfer. That led to some allegations from the beat at Mississippi State from one person in particular about tampering that – at least to this point, don't appear to have any uh, any legs of substance. It, it made me wonder. It was one of the one of the things I thought about, and I'd reached out to you before this even started because I was curious about the baseball stuff, and we'll get to how baseball returns in a minute. But you covered that beat. You were one of the very few people that I've ever seen cover that beat who didn't seem to get dragged into the fandom portion of that beat. Tell I've never been on that beat. It's 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 unique to me. I'm interested in it. What what is the dynamic like on the Mississippi State beat when you're trying to cover that program objectively? Well, a lot of those guys still remain pretty. I don't want to say closest. The closest are friends, but I'm, I'm friends with pretty much all those guys still. Just because I'm just that type of person. That I mean, look, I came from New York City, and I, yeah, I lived in. Auburn, Alabama for about 10 months, but that was a, a real brief time period for me. So I always felt like I, I went right from New York City to first Jackson for a little while, but it was really Starkville where I felt I was definitely one of a kind there. Um, don't want to say like alien or something like that, but it was different for me. And those guys, all that to say that those guys really, for the pretty much seven days a week were, were pretty kind to me and really made me feel like I wasn't by myself a lot of times. And, and they were super helpful in that way. Uh, but as far as like working the beat, it, the challenging part was that 
uh, people knew that I wasn't going to be there for a long time. And if you look at that beat, those guys, nobody leaves. Those guys are going to be there as long as they could have their jobs. Like, like, um, Steve Robertson, he's going to be covering this. That's his dream. He has told that to me. Um, he's never like, that's his dream job covering Mississippi state. And that's where me and him differ. Um, is that that was never my, I, I, I love that job. That was a fun gig for me. Um, but that certainly wasn't my dream. And that's not a knock on them. It just wasn't what I grew up with. I didn't even grow up a college football fan, Neil. So that's, that's really a whole nother side of it. But, um, yeah, so like all those guys, though, I mean, there's there's David Murray, who this is also, this has been his dream job to, to write about Mississippi State, uh, Paul Jones. Um, these guys either were, were fans of the school anyway, um, or went there, graduated from there, the whole nine yards, in some aspects, even worked for the athletic department. And so, you know, there was, I don't, I don't remember exactly which story it was, but there was a time where somebody point blank, who's no longer there in administration, funny enough, uh, told me that, hey, you're close to something, and I was trying to confirm the story, but you're not going to get it. Like, just point blank, you're not going to get it, because you're not one of us. Um, and I was like, okay, I kind of get that. Um, I understand that's part of the game. And look, if I was in their shoes, I would probably feel the same way to an extent, because you're not going to be here in a year, so why should we even... You know, I, I get that. I'm trying to do a job, and I'm trying to do the best that I can. I'm trying to do it in an unbiased way and uh, present the facts. And, yeah, I mean, why trust a person like that when you know what you're getting from somebody else? Um, but, yeah, it was difficult. Um, and as far as the uh, back and forth with, like, Ole Miss and Mississippi State and all that, sometimes it's kind of fun to kind of, like, poke around with that just because uh but like i didn't really get into it i I didn't get into it just because again i I had a job to do and like the fans were really cool with me at mississippi state and that wasn't the case with a lot of former mississippi state beat writers um i'd like to think that it's because they knew that i gave a shit about the quality of the work uh, not to say that the other guys on the beat who did the job before me didn't, they did too, but I, I just like to think that it was, you know, it was for no other reason that the quality was there, and they knew I was trying, and I, I played ball with them a little bit, and I had fun with myself, like if they posted some stupid photo of me, I, I, I thought it was kind of funny, um, you know, and they do that, and they like to, they like to poke around, and, and it's just different. Um, and I think a lot of that's just because the, the fans there have a lot of pride with their team and that extends to the beat writing. And so it's just, it's a weird dynamic because you, a lot of times you're the only person in um, the press box who didn't graduate from there, um, didn't grow up a fan of the school or didn't previously work there. So that's, different for me because I went to Florida and that wasn't the case at all. That's where I was going to go. When you got to Florida, was there, was there the same fan expectation of, of the writers that covered that program that there appears to be at Mississippi state? No. And a lot of times too, with like Mississippi state, the only thing that like didn't, it didn't really bother me, but there'd be like that whole thing about, Oh, that's a negative article. Well, it's not really like a, it's not really for me to say whether it's negative or positive. It's just what's happening. Right. And if if it's if it's if you perceive it as negative, then it's I guess it's negative. But I'm not trying to be negative. 
I'm not part of it. I've never really sorted. You can look at my Twitter profile. I've never really inserted myself. It's kind of funny because you mentioned, like, I didn't know you wanted to cover baseball. Well, a lot of people can't tell you one thing about my personal life through, like, my work. And, and that's a purpose uh, for me. Like, I never insert. I just don't think people give a shit. You know, <laughs> you know like, I just don't think people care um, about, like, what I'm doing in my spare time. So all that to say, like, it was definitely different at Florida because you didn't have that. I think the fans were just, they were thirsty to be more critical of the program. And that to me was inviting where if you wrote a critical story about, Hey, this is awful. A large segment of that fan base would take that personally. And it's like, well, guys, you you lost by 25 points and you look horrible. So like, uh, there's no way of sugarcoating this. And it's not my job to sugarcoat it. Um, So I think that was refreshing for me. Um, not all the fans were like that. There were some fans that were like, "Hey, you're too, you're too nice. Like we suck." <laughs> They're sort of like, "I don't want to group everybody together, of course." But there was a larger portion I felt sometimes that were just, man, um, kind of like that, that rosy color, colored glasses type of deal. Um, where Florida, it was a, it was a very critical fan base. Like if if they if they don't win by more than a certain amount of points, like it was a bad game. So that was a lot more refreshing for me. Um, and also, just like the, the guys on the job at Florida, uh, guys and girls on the job at Florida, they there may have been like one or two people that went to Florida, but frankly, they were some of the more critical people uh, <laughs> on the beat. Um, and just yeah, it, it was just different in those respects. Yeah, it's 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 funny you say that because you know I covered this. I guess this is my. Assuming there's a season, it'll be my 13th one on this beat, which still boggles my mind because when I took this job, I, in my mind, I thought three years tops and we're out. And um, and life just works. Life just has a funny way of sort of telling you out, you know, you don't necessarily control your own destiny at all times. But it, it, I've never gotten any pushback from the university uh, here. They've always been fine. I mean, I've had I've had run-ins with sports information people, of course, because that happens. If you, if you do your job well, you're going to ruffle feathers. But... The only crap I've ever gotten was from coaches. I mean, specifically Nut and Freeze. The only ones that, that have ever given me any hell for for uh, being frustrated with me because you went to school here. Why are you being negative? And it's – I'm not – I don't even view it. I'm like you. I never view something as positive or negative. I view it as – you know, it's funny. Like With, with Nut, I, I always finally responded, you know, it's funny, man. In 2008, you never thought I was all that negative. Now you think I'm negative – and it could be because your team's not winning. I mean, it, it, there's a difference in the way the product on the field looks now than it did two years ago, or you know that that type of conversation. And that's that's the stuff that I've gotten past it now. It doesn't bother me. But for a while, it was maddening. It was this expectation that because you you went to school there, because you're working for a quote fan site, that you're supposed to be a fan. You're supposed to be favorable. You're supposed to spin. Um, I, I've never considered anything that I do spinning, and I know you're the exact same way. And so, it, when when I would get that, when I would get that pushback, I would, I, w- I would really get frustrated by it. Yeah, and that was that was also the refreshing aspect of covering Dan Mullen, and that's why I, I always wanted to, to. That's why I wanted to continue to cover Dan Mullen at Florida, and because he, for the most part, and some people would kind of be surprised to hear this, but he, for the most part, does not care what you write about him, like. Uh, especially these days. That was different, I think, when he was a younger coach in the SEC, like his first couple of years at Mississippi State. Uh, he had a different reputation. Um, and 
he earned that reputation in a lot of ways. So, but I think once that I got there and, and he was just so comfortable in who he was and I think the success of 2014 helped things along for him mentally. Uh, but yeah, it was a different person than the guy who was there 2009, 2010, in my opinion. I wasn't there, but just from talking with him and reading about all that was said and just how he was, and he had reasons to act that way um, in 2009 and 2010 to sort of get that fan base going. But yeah, that was a big reason why he always appealed to me and still does, quite frankly. And I would still go back and cover his team just because he's not like that at all. And I remember having that recruiting job with the Clarion Ledger before I took the Mississippi State beat. Um, and I had that recruiting high school gig in 2016. And it was like night and day, quite frankly, with with uh, some of the Ole Miss recruiting stuff and the Mississippi State recruiting stuff, where a lot of the times Mississippi State they weren't reading it as with that, with that magnifying glass or that fine tooth comb that that whole miss was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, believe me, I know. Um, <laughs> Mullen, Mullen, I've, I've only met him a couple of times. I've never had any one on one time with him. Um, I like him from a distance. I like him. I, I, frankly, I sort of sometimes see some of myself in him. Uh, a little bit, just in terms of personality traits. He seems like a really bright guy. He, I'll be honest, and I know you're not covering the SEC East anymore, but you probably have some opinions on it. It feels like Georgia better take advantage of this window here pretty soon because I, everybody keeps talking about the Vols are back, and, and I realize Tennessee's recruiting at a high level right now, but but I look at the product that Florida has in the field, and I think they're closing in on, on Georgia a little quicker than maybe some of the national media notices. Yeah, I remember going on the, the Paul Feinbaum show. I think it was like the, I think it was maybe right before the 2018 season, or maybe early in the year in 2019. And he had asked me just, "What's it going to take to kind of close that gap, or or can you close the gap?" And I told, and I said there, the only reason, the only way Dan doesn't get the job done there, and I think that may have been the question, was if 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 it doesn't work out, why would it not work out? And the only the only thing that I could ever think of, and I could still think of, is if he doesn't recruit well enough in comparison to Georgia or even Tennessee at this point, and that's still the case uh, because everything else, he's above. Uh, he, he's a better game day coach. Uh, he has more experience. I just I know how he runs a program. Uh, it, it's a thoroughly impressive job. He understands. He takes criticism. Um, he understands how to deal with the media better than a lot of those guys. Um, all those, all those checks that you have to place next to an SEC coach these days, because there's so much more than just that coach. They are the face of their program. That check gets bigger and bigger. I think next to Dan Mullen every year. I mean, he's just getting really good at the job. Um, and it is kind of. A shame because I feel like the national media doesn't really pay a whole lot of attention to him, to be honest. Uh, but if you watch a game on Saturday, I mean, look, look at just a game in 2018 when they beat LSU in Gainesville and, and Florida was, was rebuilding during that year. I mean, he just, there, there are games that I could list where it's just, 
his play calling is, is, is just superb. And so that was kind of fun to cover. But yeah, I, I, I'm with you. I kind of see, saw, saw a lot of personality traits of my own in him um, or, or, or saw myself in him. And that was kind of appealing uh, for better or worse, I should say, because <laughs> uh, it's not all uh, glamorous, of course. He's a human being. And so, you know, you and I are as well. But yeah. Um, the Oxford Exxon Podcast is also brought to you by John Edwards of Regency Travel Incorporated in Memphis. Been telling you for a while that uh, travel's going to get back to normal. It's not there yet, but we're headed in that direction. I got a note from John just the other day. He was letting me know about some uh, things that are either opened or are about to open out there. If you want to interested in those and you want to get in touch with him, uh, check out Kohler, Wisconsin. Four golf courses just opened on April the 24th. Uh, great deals there in Kohler. The Watercolor Inn in Seaside, Florida. Uh, it, it opened on May 1st. Beach access, pools as well. Uh, the Kiswa Island in uh, South Carolina. All the hotels, the villas, and the homes, they opened on uh, they open on May the 16th. Two golf courses, uh, pools, beaches, also in South Carolina in Hilton Head. The Sea Pines Resort uh, there in Hilton Head. Hotels. Uh, homes May the 16th, golf courses, pools, beaches opening as well. And then uh, if you want a little something more, a little more exotic in uh, the British Virgin Islands, sailboat rentals with full crew, uh, all of that stuff opening up on June the 2nd, up to three couples, total of $14,500, all inclusive. If you want to get away and enjoy travel, things are opening up. You want to get in touch with John, 901-494-3387. Or send him an email, jedwards at regencytravel.net. First-time clients save $50 off their first book trip just by telling John you heard about Regency Travel on the podcast. We're also brought to you by Oxford University Bank. OUB, locally owned and operated right here in Oxford. When you deposit money at OUB, that money and the vast majority of the bank's profits go right back into the Oxford community. OUB gives you the benefit of, the benefits of home, uh, all the comforts and benefits that you're used to from the big mega banks, except they give you a personal touch. All the technology and products you want, but there's no buttons to push, no wait. You get a live person when you call. Great customer service at OUB. You also get Casasa. It's the absolute best cash checking account. And with it, OUB will pay customers 2.5% interest on their balances up to $50,000 and refund ATM fees nationwide. They also have a commercial checking account. Now paying 1% interest as long as you keep $10,000 in the account. It comes with fully interactive online banking. To learn more, go to liveoxfordbankoxford.com or call 662-234-6668. OUB is FDIC insured. And we're brought to you by Bluff City Advisory Group, dedicated to building the future you desire. Founded in Memphis in 2019, their team is comprised of established and seasoned financial experts who came together to serve individuals and families of their beloved hometown. The firm is built on decades of wealth management experience, and they've seen it all. Their financial advisors have a reputation for professional excellence, and their clients rely on their high level of confidence and integrity. So whether you need guidance on developing a financial plan, creating a customized executive benefits program for your business, or preparing a detailed asset allocation analysis, Bluff City Advisory will provide forward-thinking, cost-effective investment strategies customized to uniquely fit each client. 
888-382-3447 or email ben, B-E-N, at bluffcityadvisory.com. And we're brought to you by Whitney McNutt of Tommy Morgan Incorporated Realtors. She sponsors my weekly mailbag on rebelgrove.com, and she can also serve you for all your real estate needs in Oxford and Tupelo. She sells condos, land, commercial, and residential family homes. To get in touch with Whitney, 662-567-2573 or 662-842-3844. Well, it's why I like Andy Kennedy so much. It's why I catch myself really liking Kermit Davis a lot. Is I can have a, I can have a conversation with them about things that have nothing to do with, in that case, Ole Miss basketball, and we can have a, a very, sure. yeah. we can have a very pleasant conversation and talk about a lot of different things, uh, and then you know, on on the, and get back to work, and I can ask a question that if it ends up being a bad question, they look at you like, come on, or you know, or you can ask a critical question and get get an honest answer. It's it's uh it, it's that kind of thing. I, it, it's a relationship like with with I mentioned Houston Nutt. I could I could never build with with Hugh Freeze. There was no way to build that relationship. It was it was absolutely impossible to to do that. And and uh, you know, so you. It, it, like you said, they're humans and you're human. And so you gravitate towards certain people and you gravitate away from certain people. And he seems like the kind of guy that I could sit down with and have a conversation about different things that have nothing to do with college football. And, and we would, we'd probably get along just fine. I'm not saying we'd become best buddies or anything like that, but we could, we could be pleasant to one another and have a conversation about the real world. It's, he never strikes me as like the Nick Saban type that on election day says, oh, I didn't realize that today was election day. Where you're like, oh, for God's sake, of course you knew it was election day. This, this is an act. I've never gotten that. I've never gotten that from Mullen. No, you know what it is, Neil? He, he's not a demagogue. Like, he's not somebody that is put on this pedestal and like, thou, thou shall obey him. Like, it, it's just, it, it was never that way. Um, he may have a high opinion of himself, don't get me wrong, and he does. Sure, of course. Um, but it, it's not like you're, I don't know, like that to me was the biggest difference between him and Hugh Freeze was just you had one guy that was like, hey, uh, don't you dare criticize me. And then the other guy was like, kind of like he got, he got up for that. Like if you criticize Dan Mullen, he's going to go, he, he likes the back and forth. Like he wants to be criticized. You just nailed like. it. You, you absolutely so. just nailed Hugh Freeze. Look, Hugh Freeze is a good coach. He's a good football coach. What he did at Ole Miss in 2012 and 2014 and 2015 cannot be it, it cannot be overlooked. Those were really good football teams. What he what he built at Ole Miss was 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 impressive. And the people that go, oh well, he cheated. Anybody that that's smart enough knows that no, they didn't cheat the way they probably wanted to cheat. They didn't have the resources to cheat the way that they wanted to cheat in all likelihood, the way that everyone cheats, the way that to win in this league, you have to buy players, period, the end. What got Hugh Freeze was the opposite of what you just said about Mullen. If you criticized Freeze, it stung him to this level where he had to figure it out. And ultimately, what Freeze did was he surrounded himself with people, he insulated himself with people who would not criticize he insulated himself with people who would not say to him, hey, uh, Hugh, I don't think this is the way we should do this, or Hugh, I don't think. And a great example of this is Leo Lewis. There were people on the Ole Miss staff who told him, hey, this is not worth doing. Leave this, this, this kid's not good enough for all of this. There, there are other players that are, that are less maintenance and, and just as good as Lewis. 
but he wanted to beat Mississippi State on that kid. He wanted the Mississippi kid with the stars. He wanted the ratings bump. He wanted to beat Mullen on that kid. It got personal and it led to mistakes. And and it's you're right. I, I, and and he would probably really fight back about the demagoguery thing, but he kind of did. He he wanted to be put on this pedestal. And and when uh, you know country music stars or, or NASCAR stars wanted to be around him, wanted to be in his orbit. He couldn't accommodate them fast enough. And and it all led to this downfall. Man, Leo Lewis, that's a, that's a story. <laughs> that's a long story probably for a different time. But yeah. it's kind of funny, though. Not funny. It's actually pretty sad. Um, yeah. Because I, I always thought he was pretty, pretty good. Um watching him at practice and games when the, the times that he got in games. Um, I thought I always thought he was talented. It was just, I don't know. It's just, it became interesting that he became really essentially the third linebacker for that team for, for a lot of those years with Willie Gay Jr. and Errol Thompson, who's still on that team. And quite frankly, was the best of the three. And funny enough, he was the lowest rated recruit of the three. All right, a couple of real quick football things, then I'll get a quick baseball thought from you, then I'll let you go, and I really appreciate your time. Florida is assuming there's a season. Florida scheduled to come here, I think, in October. Ought to be a pretty good Florida team. Um, what, what, what are your expectations for the Gators this fall? Yeah, I think that Florida's going to be really good. I think that they're – I've seen that other, like, national sites have called them, like, a sleeper, sort of national title contender. I don't know how much of a sleeper that they should be, really, just because they return their quarterback. They don't have a whole lot of turnover on either side of the ball. Same coaching staff. Um, and the schedule is probably a little bit weaker than it was last year. So as long as they could maybe upset Georgia this time, they should be really good as far as their overall outlook. They're a tough team to beat. Um their offense is going to probably remain the same, even though they lose a bunch of talented senior wide receivers. And while Michael P. Ryan was a great running back, but they have a lot of depth that was kind of untapped last year. I think they're going to be a really, really good challenge for a team like Ole Miss that I think will get better as the season goes on, Ole Miss. But the time that they're getting Florida is probably not the best time for them. That was my next question was about Lane Kiffin and and, and uh, Ole Miss. Obviously, you weren't covering Florida Atlantic, but they were in the same state. So you might have just by osmosis picked up some things about the job that he did down there. What what kind of a fit do you think Kiffin is at Ole Miss? I think he's a great fit. I'm excited about it. I think he's going to do real well there. I just think like that, like I said, he's getting a really a pretty talented team and a very and a veteran coach and a veteran staff at the wrong time of the season, yeah. I feel like, even though that, that game is at Oxford, and they're going to be up for it, I, I shoot, um, I would have loved to have gone there, that was kind of like one of the things I, I honestly weighed was just how cool that game is going to be, um, but I just think, and crazy, and crazy and cool things happen in college football game, of course, so like I'm not putting it like they don't have a shot here, but um, it's just the timing of it is just not great for that particular game um, too early in the season. But I like the fit. I, I think that it's the right type of guy 
for the fan base. I think he, he strikes a chord uh, with them. I didn't cover Ole Miss. I don't want to go too much into that just because I who am I to say? But um, just from my perspective, I think that is a great fit. And he, he's a guy who knows he, – he's, he's whether or not he's matured, whatever. Uh, I mean, he's – got years under his belt at this point so you would assume that he's learned a thing or two um so there's that aspect and, and he's a pretty damn good football coach though too like that's what yeah. people forget is that this guy's this guy knows what he's doing he, he's not some joke i mean this this guy is good and the recruiting aspect is a great fit um and you can get into like oh the pay for players and all those type of jokes <laughs> who cares yeah I mean, it, he's uh he knows what he's doing he's a great fit for that program yeah, in many ways, the the I, I'm not, I, I always people, people always assume that you're, you're you're exchanging barbs on this kind of thing. I'm I'm not. I'm not. I'm not throwing shade at Alabama or anything when I say this. But he was there a long time, and from all indica- I mean, three years, and from all indications, he sponged. He learned a lot there, and and uh, you know he's he's worked for some of the best coaches in the history of the game. He's worked for Pete Carroll. He's worked for uh, Nick Saban, and you know he's sort of. I mean, you can't deny what he did at FAU. He went down there and he completely turned the program around. And uh, yeah, so far, everything that I thought, which was he makes a lot of sense, was a really good fit for Ole Miss. And I think he was. I think his his progress has probably been delayed a year because of the COVID thing and not being able to recruit and not being able to have spring football. And not really because of the spring football portion of it, but because of the bring, bringing recruits in and kind of changing the culture a little in recruiting and stuff. That's going to have to wait a little bit. But uh, every everything that's happened so far, I've gone. Yep, he's a he's a great fit. All right, so let's real quick. Let's talk baseball. Uh, just the the return of baseball. I know you got a meeting to go to in a minute, so I've kept you long enough. But I'm curious. Do you anticipate being back in Arizona in uh, in June? Do you anticipate being at Miller Park in in July? M- maybe wearing a mask or whatever, but covering Major League Baseball. I don't know about the Arizona aspect, but I do anticipate covering Major League Baseball in some capacity. I think that a lot of teams, and maybe the Brewers, maybe not, um, but many teams will rather just stay at their home park than go to Arizona or Florida. Uh, It kind of depends. I I think a lot of it also depends on where guys are living and maybe how many live in one area versus the other. Um, So there's that aspect. But generally speaking, I'm pretty optimistic about a season. They're kind of, uh, I think this week in particular is huge. There has to be some sort of uh, progress. Uh, and if there is, and we hear about that, then that's, that's great. Because the goal has been for sort of a, a spring training 2.0 to get up and going sometime in mid-June. And if there's progress made this week, they could move toward that a little bit, I think. And then maybe we see baseball in you know, by the second week of July or something like that. But I'm pretty optimistic about it. I am. You don't think that the players and the owners are crazy enough to let this season fall apart for financial reasons, right? That at some point they realize we absolutely have to find some some form of common ground. I mean, it's one thing if the season is scheduled, is canceled because some crazy spike in, in coronavirus leads to a, a set of circumstances that makes playing baseball impossible, but it can't be for financial reasons. Correct. I completely agree. It's a horrible look if that's the case, and quite frankly, it's not a great look of what's going on now with the hassling over over dollars and money. But you know, that's that's part of it. Like nobody wants to to see and read about billionaires and millionaires arguing over over money. But look, that that's that's the way it is. Like that's going to happen. Um, 
but you just don't want that to ruin the whole season, of course, or be the reason why they don't play. And I don't think it will be. I think that they'll have enough sense to figure that part of it out, and that we will see ba- we will see baseball as long as it's safe to play. Do you get any sense up there in Wisconsin that there's even a chance that at some point in the summer, some point in the early fall, that that fans will be allowed to attend? That one, I'm not too. I'm not as optimistic with. Um, I, I think that that would be the goal, of course, especially from the revenue standpoint. And baseball is trying to be that sport that brings people together and all that, and that's great um, if it's done safely. I just don't see that. I just don't see that aspect happening. Quite frankly, I think it would be kind of too soon, just because of the window of the season. We're not really talking about a long period of time here. We're talking about a few months, and although things are changing and um, some st- some statistics will show you that the, the things are improving. I think that that may be a little bit too. This is just me personally talking. I think it may be a little bit too soon for that, even if it's just a couple of months from now. I, I got forty five minutes or so from you. I really appreciate it. It was a great visit. I thoroughly enjoyed it. Uh, look forward to reading your work, covering the Brewers, and um, hope to visit with you again soon. Yeah, man. Let's do it again soon. I appreciate it, Neil. Take care, Will. Take a break in the show to tell you about Community Mortgage located in Oxford, Memphis, Soto County, and Chattanooga. Underwriting and processing is done in Memphis, so you're getting local underwriting to understand your market. A leader in condo financing in Oxford and the flow down option where you can lock in the current rate, but if rates go down before you close, you get the lower rate. 662-234-2704 or J-L-O-W-E at communitymtg.com. Also brought to you by G&M Pharmacy on South Lamar in Oxford, also Tyson Drugs on the Square in Holly Springs. Both those locations are open for regular business hours. Tyson's is utilizing a walk-up window, and GM is offering curbside service there in Oxford. Both stores are dedicated to local delivery and still able to deliver same day as well. 662-236-2222. The podcast brought to you by Visit Oxford. VisitOxfordMS.com is the website. Click the very top so you have to support Oxford during COVID-19. You can see a list of all retailers, restaurants with curbside with delivery options to uh, help you out there if you need that list. Also ways to support hospitality workers who are out of jobs right now in Oxford between Tip Roulette and some other options that you have. Again, visit OxfordMS.com. Podcast also brought to you by Special Orthopedic Group. They are open in Tupelo and Oxford. You can skip the ER for urgent ortho-related injuries at both locations. They're offering, offering virtual health telemedicine. Patients have direct access to all SOG physicians and nurse practitioners. Patients have 24-hour access to appointments at 662 767 4200 or SOGMS.com. No referral is needed. Walk-ins are welcome. And then last but not least, we're brought to you by In-House Interior and Design, 662-681-6241. You can call. You can text. They are available for you. I talked to Nikki this week. They've been picking up more clients because people are home right now. They're seeing things around their house they want to change. They want to fix up. They offer new client gifts. They offer dorm room appointments whenever that does uh, come with discounts as well. So you can find out more. Text or call 662-681-6241. We finished our conversation with Will talking about COVID-19, the coronavirus, and how that pertains to the return of sports there in the state of Wisconsin. I talked on Sunday night to uh, Dr. Michael Cunningham about COVID-19, where things stand today, what the summer looks like, what his thoughts are about the return of uh, college football, and other sports to the southeast. So we'll go to him now. Here's Dr. Michael Cunningham on the Rafters Music and Food Hotline. 
Dr. Michael Cunningham back for his third appearance on the Oxford Exxon podcast. This one from the, uh, the, the Denver area where I think he is visiting his son and family there. So uh, happy Memorial Day weekend to you. Thanks for sending some time. Oh, man. Thanks for having me, Neil. Happy Memorial Day to, to you as well. So I always open these interviews with this. Uh, where, where, does the, where does the virus stand as we speak? There's, there's so much misinformation out there. There's so many agendas that are out there. The, there's yet at the same time, the numbers are what the numbers are. The deaths are down. The uh, percent positives appear to be going down. Hospitalizations are, are going down, which is critical. From the outside looking in, and as I've told you many times, I'm not a I'm not a doctor, I'm not an epidemiologist, and I'm not an immunologist, whatever the word is. But it, it looks like things are headed in the right direction, albeit you know slowly. Yeah, I mean, I think that's that's pretty accurate. I mean, um, today, I think today's numbers today, I mean, lowest death total in oh several several weeks since March. So um, that's uh, that's good. Like you said, hospitalizations are down, and hospitalizations are probably the best metric to follow now. I mean, deaths are such a lagging indicator anyway. Um, hospitalizations are probably the metric we can we can follow most closely because it's the hardest to. I don't know what the best word is. The hardest to fake because um, <clears throat> testing you can make make it look however you want. Apparently, with uh, mixing antibody tests and PCR tests and some other things that have been going on lately, but hospitalizations are down everywhere, um, and, and particularly the hard hit areas have fallen very dramatically, and uh, even the areas that weren't hard hit are now plateaued back earlier this month and kind of falling off now. So I think everything's looking much much better, and uh, the virus is just kind of doing what viruses do they come and they go okay so from that comment i take it that you think this one's going to go yeah i mean i think it's going to be with us sporadically um you know i but the the second wave thing i'm not real sure about that there there's been a lot of data coming out that i mean it's hard to have a second wave when kids can't transmit the virus um and the other thing that we know is tons of people have, when I say tons, so the two studies show 30 to 40% of people just can't even get it because of prior immunity to other coronaviruses that kind of give them this cross-reactive immunity. So if you've got a large portion of the population that is largely unaffected and or can't even get it, um, it's going to be really hard to have a second wave, in my opinion, no matter what the weather pattern is. Um, will we have some? I'm sure. Uh but I don't think that it's going to be anything like we just had. Okay, so we, we talked a lot. I think the first time we did this was, correct me, my memory in this epidemic is just, I don't, I mean, the pandemic, I can't remember what day was what. But when we, our first conversation, we talked about the weather a little bit. You you said at the time, hey, I need to see more data before I know what the heat does or doesn't do to it. Uh, we're obviously in the in the hot time you probably don't feel that right now in, in Colorado but you know when you left Ocean Springs it was hot when you get back to Ocean Springs it's going to be even hotter there's humidity uh, I jumped in our swimming pool for the first time yesterday it's the summer's here Memorial Day's here all that stuff what in your opinion from what you see from the data and what you see from the numbers what do you think the heat's going to do to this oh I, I the the heat is already having its effect. Uh, I think that's that's pretty obvious. And I mean, and even if you look at, um, you know, I think it's a certain latitude. It's like I mean, maybe twenty three and a half degrees or so. The difference between deaths per million between north of that and south of that is just astronomical. Um, so I think to say that heat doesn't play a role with all we know now is is just that's. 
that's just not a good argument. Um, it's it's clear it clearly does now are there places in the south that get hit yeah sure uh but there are other factors that go into that besides weather the main one being how dense the population is and how how communal the 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 living areas of those uh people that are affected are in particular places like brazil but um i think that the weather is clearly uh having its effect um and also just the virus is just doing what it does. If you look at the pattern of this virus everywhere, no matter where it goes, it just has the same thing, a huge, massive effect that lasts for anywhere from six to eight weeks. And then it just kind of fades and sort of go, you know, goes away. Um, that's been seen everywhere, Europe, China, South Korea, Japan, New Zealand, everywhere in the entire world has had the same type of pattern from this virus. Um, and I think any new newly introduced virus is going to have that same kind of effect, uh, no matter, no matter which one it is. Um, especially a coronavirus that's very, very seasonal. Michael Cunningham with us here on the Oxford Exxon podcast. So, we're taping this. I always do this. I think it's fair for me and for you and for anybody who's listening. We're taping this on Sunday afternoon. It's 521 Central Time, so 421 where you are in, in Colorado. On a Sunday afternoon, a lot of headlines today about the pictures and the video from uh, Lake of the Ozarks in Missouri. I woke up. I thought that was in Arkansas today. I was like, man, well, I, that's that's crazy, but it's Missouri. Uh, a lot of people just gnashing teeth over that. There's obviously not a lot of social distancing going on in that area around that pool and all of that stuff. When you see those pictures, do they disturb you at all? Do they bother you at all? Or, or is the media overreacting to them? Um, it doesn't bother me very much. Um, I mean, this we had the same pictures, what, two months ago in Florida for spring break. So, you know... I, I just in, in an area in, in, in an outdoor area, uh, even densely packed like that, the likelihood that there's significant viral transmission is close to zero. Um, so I, I don't it doesn't bother me um, at all, honestly. Um, if it's hot enough to be in a pool um, and it's outdoors, I just I don't see how that's going to have any long lasting effect whatsoever on the on those on those people participating um because again everywhere we've seen the same patterns of transmission indoors close confined spaces that's where it, that's where it spreads uh, outdoors in a pool having a good time I, I just i don't see it it's it's not happened so that was my next question because you know uh, uh, the president came out this week with some pretty strong comments about open churches up and that kind of thing. Most churches, obviously, at least the ones that I've grown up attending and, and being around are indoors. Services are an hour, hour and five minutes. It's all indoors. People sing, that kind of thing. Correct me if I'm wrong, but to me, it feels like that's more of a of a risk, if you will. And I'm, this is not an anti-religion thing at all. I'm talking about confined spaces. That's more of a risk than being out at the beach or out at the pool. I mean, just my limited knowledge of, of, of science would tell me that I'm safer in the pool than I am at the church right now. Uh, yeah, I think that's a fair statement. I, I mean, um, and I think obviously there's a lot of, like you said, I mean, how much singing is happening and for how long is, is going to play a big role in all that. I think people going indoors and going to a church service really isn't that risky. 
um, especially where we are with this virus right now with it kind of dying off. Uh, the singing obviously changes that element um, to some degree because I guess we've had maybe three outbreaks associated with religious services like that now, whether they be choir practices yeah. or church services. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, it happens um, and it's going to happen and it's probably almost always associated with some super spreader, some guy who's just shedding virus or, 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 or lady just said shedding virus like crazy. Um, but, you know, I think I would have been more concerned about it a couple of months ago than I am now. Um, just because so few people are testing positive now, um, and there really aren't any true hot spots left other than maybe Chicago, but even there, uh, things were kind of, uh, dying off, um, or, and improving. Um, so given, given the pattern of the virus and, and, and where it's headed at this point in time, I'm not, I'm not as worried about it. If you'd ask me the same question, uh, you know, a month or six weeks ago. So I wrote about this on Friday. I wrote a little bit more today in, in 10 Weekend Thoughts as we tape on Sunday. Sports are coming back. No question about it. Um, absolutely zero question. Sports are coming back. The uh, Major League Baseball and the Players Association, their biggest issue right now is money, not the virus. Uh, the NBA is is focusing in on a plan. That plan's going to happen. Uh, very obviously, they're either going to be all in Las Vegas or – all in Orlando or half and half. They're going to play their playoffs. They're going to play in closed venues. Uh, the, it got announced the SEC has cleared uh, student athletes, particularly football players, to report back to the respective campuses starting on June the 8th. If you're advising, well, since most of our audience is most interested in college football out of that group, if you're advising one of these schools, Ole Miss, Mississippi State, Alabama, LSU, whatever, they're bringing every the kids are coming back to campus. There's a lot of protocols that are being uh, asked that, that are being asked to follow over the course of June. You're the medical person, sort of in charge of this. What is what's your biggest concern? What's kind of the one thing that you're advising ads and coaches about as as kids report back to campus and they begin working out? Um, I guess. Uh, I mean, obviously, they're going to be in close contact with each other. Um, I'm not sure how their workout regimens are going to be structured. Um, I think they're going to work them out in the the month of June, at least they're, they're going to say, Hey, no footballs throwing around. Let's get you in the building, get your workout, get you out of the building, get you outside. We'll do cardio outside. We'll do, obviously you got to do the weights inside, but they want to do the weights in such a way that, you know, like when you do a power clean, you know, there's a, you know, where you Mm -hmm. push, air out you know i mean it's a it's a it's a for lack of a better word it's a a violent thing you know when you do a squat and and you've got 550 pounds on your back when you go down and you come up there's a you know a sound that you make a noise that you make you expel air they're trying to do that in a way that that's you know not where that that can't go downwind they're they're, they're trying to be super careful about the way that they structure this present it in a way where there's time in between each work group to to, uh, to clean, bring the next group in, get that first group out, if you will. They're not going to let them congregate in the building and hang out and 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 watch TV in a in a common area like they normally would. They're not going to eat in a common area the way that they always have. The, the lunches or, or dinners are going to be, you know, prepackaged and and uh, and that kind of thing. So they're being super careful in the month of June 
But obviously, like you said, I mean, you can't. They're they're, they're humans, and they're they're young people. You can't control them, and and I don't think anybody wants to hold them hostage. That's a terrible look, and it's it's not fair to the kids either. So at night, I mean, let's be realistic. They're going to hang out with each other. They're they're going to, uh, you know, they're they're going to go to parties. They're gonna they're they're going to be girls around. There's there's going to be the stuff that college kids do. They're they're not going to be super careful, especially athletes, because they. They feel like they're sort of superhuman, and I would too if I looked like some of those guys. So, you know what I mean? I mean, there's going to be there's going to be exposure. If so, if you're, it's a really long winded question. If you're the doctor and you're watching for things, what are you what are you watching for? What are you telling coaches? What are you telling student athletes? How are you kind of getting that message across? Yeah, I mean, I think some of that's okay for June just to kind of see how things go. Um, you know, I think if, if I was structuring a program, uh, maybe it would be a little similar to that, I think, but I think a lot of it would be not because I thought it was necessary, but because of the optics for the parents of the student athletes. Um, it, I don't, just because their age group is so relatively unaffected. Um, and also they just aren't, they aren't spreaders of the disease. Um, I, I you know, I, I would be, I, I don't think that you know, unless there's some type, unless somebody develops symptoms, I don't think I would be testing those athletes. I think I would just wait and, and see if somebody has uh, something happen. Yeah. But again, I don't, I don't mind doing something proactively to start with that. That's never really been my issue at all. But if things go well and there are no issues, which would be my suspicion is what's going to happen. Um, then I would sort of kind of, I don't know, for lack of a better term, unleash the hounds say in July and just kind of let them proceed kind of getting close back to normal. Yeah. Um, and I wouldn't have a, I mean, I don't have a problem with the players hanging out. I mean, the, if, if you're sitting around hanging out and watching television um, in a, in a big communal open area, open air area, I, that's not a problem to me at all. It, it, it's, you know, when 10 people are in a dorm room watching TV is where the thing's going to spread. Uh it, most likely but you, you know? think you think most of the football players that worked let's say let's say let's keep Ole Miss out of it because people get emotional about that let's say it's uh I don't know Missouri and let's say eight players on that team get it is there even what are the likelihood that any of the eight would have symptoms oh really small um really small I would say maybe one of them I, I mean i think if you look at the numbers it'd probably be it'd probably be one to two at the most would get symptoms i mean if 50 percent of people are asymptomatic 40 to 50 percent are asymptomatic and the younger you are the less likely you are to be symptomatic um i think you're looking at maybe a 10 to 20 percent symptomatic once you get to that young of an age so it could work um, through a football program and, and the kids never know it who would be more yeah, at risk absolutely the, the older the older people would be more at risk though the, what you're saying and, and the and the uh, literature seems to support this. What you're saying is that young people don't spread the disease. So am I, am I right in saying, I mean, what's the definition of young? In this case, we're talking about 18 well, to 22 year olds. At, yeah. 19 under 19. I think it, it, that's the definition of quote unquote young. Uh, but if you look at the data, even under 25, I mean, if you look at all the data, all comers under 25, somebody under 25 has got about a one in a million chance of dying from this particular disease. So, um, now the, the, the spreader issue changes a little bit once you get into quote unquote adulthood, uh, you know, over 19 and over, um, you do, you can be a spreader, um, you know, between 19 and 25. 
but um, the, the degree of that is kind of relatively unknown. They don't really break that age bracket down in, in most of the contact trace studies I've seen. Um, they really define it. Some places define children as less than 16, some less than 14, and some less than 18. Um, so it's kind of a hodgepodge of data when you look at all that. But if you look at the Netherlands, which is kind of, kind of has the best contact trace data, um, at least in my opinion. They All right, so here, here's my question. We were talking about this a little bit. Full disclosure, I love giving people background. Our recorder got full, and I saw it. We missed about two minutes of your answer, so I'll, I'll kind of cr- try to recreate a little podcast here. If if you're in charge, you were, you were saying if you're in charge of the players and you weren't worried about optics, you're sort of letting them go. You're letting them let, let it kind of whatever because you're really not worried about it. You're a little worried, not worried, but you're taking some precautions for coaches, for the older people that are around the program, that kind of thing. Here's right. here's here's I'll, I'll advance the question a little because I think I think I think the the gist of what you were saying got covered. Here's the big thing, and this this affects more of the people that are listening to us. As of today, again May twenty fourth, I think the plan in these stadiums and listen listen the people that are making these plans are having to make these plans based on what they see today. There's a chance that in two three months these are easy calls and that it's super easy to do whatever. But as of today, I think the plan is, hey, we're going to have to socially distance these stadiums. We're going to have to spread people out. We're going to be careful. We're going to have to close luxury boxes and things like that. We're going to have to put, make sure people are outside. We can't afford from a liability standpoint at a university to, uh, to spread the disease, to spread the virus. Um, if you were in charge, what, what advice would you be giving university people about attendance at games with with obviously people that aren't as fit and young as 19 year old wide receivers at, at an sec school yeah um i think that's kind of the hardest question to answer right now but i also think the answer is wait you know like you said i mean things things may change and i think things will change dramatically between now and, and july um i mean they've changed dramatically just in the last i mean three weeks um i mean we knew based on prior stuff original SARS and the fact that these viruses are seasonal, that, that, that May was going to be the month where we saw the trend down and June's not going to be any different than that. It's going to be even more dramatic. And so July is going to kind of be this pivot point, I think, where everybody looks at this and says, okay, um, maybe we don't have to do all of that. Maybe there are some things we need to do, like socially distance at concession stands, which are kind of sort of covered and technically not indoor, but you know there is some potential there. Um, in the stands, I'm not sure how that looks or how that works. Um, I definitely wouldn't limit uh, the student section in any form or fashion. Um, if I was say university president or, or, you know, athletic director or anything like that. Um, but the, uh, but you're at some point you have to live and let live. And if you're an at-risk population person, then maybe you shouldn't come to the game. And I think that the university is going to have to make that full disclosure, um, that if you come, you know, it's really at your own risk. Um, and, and if you and if you purchase a ticket and show up and, and, and walk into the gate, you have assumed that risk. Um, and at some point, we're going to have to say that because you can't. You, there's just no way you're going to be able to stop. Um, you're going to be able to change. You're going to the 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 universities aren't going to be able to survive off a half full football stadium. I mean, I just don't think that the money is going to be no, enough it's, it's, for them to survive that way. You're right. It's it's one of those things where I mean, you know, I I try to explain this to people, and and 
look, we all want football back. We're going to get football back. But when you start to get to the money part of it, if you were to tell all these universities two years ago that, hey, in 2020, you're going to play your games and only one-fourth of your stadium is going to be full, the following is a little hyperbolic, but some of the CFO-type people would have jumped off bridges. I mean, I mean, it, it's you can't make the math work. Right. And so when I see people talk about this, I mean, Ohio State talking about, hey, 20% full, 25% full. That means your 90,000-seat stadium only has 20,000 people in it. That's a lot of that's, – that's an incredible amount of money left at the gate. At some point, I don't see how that works. I, I, I just think – I just think at some point, whether it's I don't I don't know what the answers are, but at some point, if you, if you're going to run a business, it's like running a restaurant. I know people that are that that own restaurants right now that they refuse to open on this one on this thirty percent thing because that, that they're like my profit margins don't work. It makes no sense. I can't. It doesn't make right. sense to do that. The same applies to, to running a football program, to running a basketball program. If if you're going to limit capacity to twenty twenty five percent, you you can't make the math work. Right, I think that that's going to be that's going to be the biggest problem, and 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 so and the question becomes, you know, I mean, if you're if you're under fifty, and you don't have any health problems, this thing's influenza for you. If you're under thirty, you're more likely to die of influenza. So you know, it's at some point it becomes about about assessing risk for every level of the population based upon age and risk factors and whatever. And if you are in that at-risk population, then you need to make that decision for yourself um, because we, we're we not going to be able to – I mean, society itself, forget football and sports. I mean, society itself is not going to be able to function like that. Um, like you said, restaurants and you know other places that are highly dependent upon being f- fully um, – at full capacity to, to – to, to run a business and make money and pay employees, you know, you, you gotta, you, you gotta be running at full strength. You can't be running at 50%. It's just, it's just the math, like you said, just does not work, uh, for, for most places like that. Um, and I, I, I you know, it, it's, that's why so many business, like you said, so many restaurants and businesses aren't even open at a half capacity because it doesn't make sense. They're still going to lose money. I know why the media does it. But why do some people in the medical community change the way that that numbers are coded? A gunshot victim gets who happened to to, to have COVID. They list him as a COVID death. Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, I I, get, I, underst- I understand that. why the media does it. I get it, Michael. I I know the media. Believe me, I know a lot of media. But the media is not making the medical people do it. Some of the medical people are doing it, and it blows me away. Yeah, I, I don't know, and and you know, and I, I don't know, Neil. I, it, it frustrates me um, a lot when I see stuff like that. Um, I and I don't know how prevalent that is. I, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not one of these people saying like you know, thirty percent of the deaths are, you know, just you know, BS. Uh, but I, I think that it, it is happening, and um, some of it's some of it's monetary driven by administrators. I'm sure, right. Uh, but, you know, and then when they released their guidelines, the federal guidelines were basically that. If they tested positive and they died, then they should be counted as a death. So part of that goes back to the federal guidelines that were given at the beginning, which I said at, I said at that time were a, were a bit ludicrous. Um, and so, you know, 
and then and then when you point stuff like that out to people, you, you know, all of a sudden, being a reasonable person becomes a conspiracy. You're a conspiracy theorist. Yeah. And and I'm not, you know, I'm I'm not a conspiracy theorist at all. No, I, I know I, you're not because I've, ta- things- I've I've talked to you beyond your message board posts, so I, I I know where you're coming from. I know you're not. You're you're. Uh, I mean, I think if I think correct me if I'm wrong, but I think if you saw a lot of 30, 35 year old people dropping dead left and right, you would have a completely different conversation than the one we're having right now. Oh, absolutely. No, there's no question about that. Um, but but again i mean and this all comes back down to the same thing over and over and over again is 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 what measures you know what measures were appropriate you know we have to be able to look back on our mistakes and change patterns and and i think that's my the most frustrating thing for me of the entire uh pandemic is we haven't changed behaviors haven't changed from a um uh, as uh, let, let me just say it this way: as a scientist, we're we're supposed to make hypotheses and we test the hypothesis, and if it doesn't work, then we 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 generate another hypothesis and we go from there, over and over and over again, until you find you know an answer or um, the lack of an answer. And so, the fact that we've had this hypothesis that lockdowns are going to make us all safer, and that has been proven, it, there is. No question that that has been proven wrong. And when I say lockdown, I do not mean socially distancing. You know, I mean locking people in their homes and telling them they they can't go more than you know two miles down the road, you know, to the grocery store. So, um, so we we know that that doesn't work. And in fact, in some situations, may have actually made things worse. Um, if you look at the epidemiological data, and I think so, I think the most frustrating thing is is to see the lack of change in people who are in charge from a medical perspective, to the ability to adapt based on that new data. Um, and I think a lot of the reason is is there people are afraid of being shouted down. Um, and and you know every single death becomes your fault once you change your. Um, once you change uh, your your policies, um, every death after that change all of a sudden becomes a fault of that policy, uh, and it's just it's so logically fallacious and not based on reason. Uh, it it is beyond frustrating for someone like me in the scientific community who has done research and knows how to analyze data and to see what's happening in the medical community and not just among people who I don't think know what they're doing, but amongst people that I respect and do, and I know they know what they're doing. Um, and so I, I, we just, we need more people than say, you know, one person at the top directing everything or two or three people at the top directing everything. I mean, this, this should be a meeting of the minds in the future and not, and not a select few academic minds, you know, minds from the community as well. You can't just take an epidemiologist's opinion, Dr. Fauci or Dr. Birch or two or three or 10 of those people and make decisions that affect everyone, you know, from, from, because I mean, these policies, I mean, the most hard hit communities are African-Americans and Hispanics. And what have the economic policies done to those same communities? Just devastation. You know, so we've devastated them in one way with the virus and then devastated them in another way with the economic policies. And, and, and I think that's uh, that's a travesty. It's a national travesty. Why is the, the virus seeming to impact uh, African-Americans and minorities more than than it is the, the you know, majority population? 
Well, I think a lot of it is sociological um, because they're more likely to have more people living under the same roof in a close communal area. Um, I think that explains probably a lot of it. Um, African-Americans also tend to have more prevalence of high blood pressure and diabetes um, in the population. So I think in that we obviously know that those are, are big risk factors for, for dying from, from COVID. And um, so I think, I, think that, that, I think that's most of the answer, uh, those two reasons. Um, and beyond that, they also have, you know, higher prevalences of cardiovascular disease and, um, and, and obesity, um, especially in the South. All right. So we'll, we'll, we'll finish here. And again, I really appreciate your time. I know you're spending time with family and so I've taken more than a half hour away from, from, uh, your family. So uh, we'll finish here. I know you don't have a crystal ball. If you did, you'd be in Vegas and I'd be there with you and we'd be, uh, we'd be making some coin, but I'll ask you to glance into your, into your crystal ball that, that we won't hold you to, but I'm just curious when you look ahead to say, I don't know, we'll call it Labor Day weekend. It's Memorial Day. Now Labor Day weekend's the start of the college football season. Based on what you see now, what your, your scientific knowledge tells you, what do you anticipate that this will look like, you know, the Sunday before Labor Day? Well, uh, I'm going to give you my perception on what two different things will look like. The virus will look minimal at that point in time. However, the perception of and what people are reading will be completely different um, at that point in time. I think there's going to be a lot of worry. There's going to be a lot of uh, articles with, you, you know, just basically and more models. <laughs> Uh, man, I've, I've come to hate some models lately. Um, but, oh, I, uh, I, I get it. Be, the, the whole, well, just wait two weeks. Okay, we waited two weeks. Right. Just wait two right. weeks. So, we mean, waited two exactly. weeks. Yeah. So it's going to be, you know, it's going to be more of that, I think, uh, from certain groups of people. Um, and But I think at, at that point in time, when we look at for what's happening with the virus about at Labor Day weekend, I don't think there's going to be really much of anything going on with the virus at that point. I mean, there may be a case here or there, you know, things going on here or there, but the virus at that point in time is going to be uh, it, on the back burner of most people's minds. Um, and, um, and statistically irrelevant at that point in time, that would be my opinion about what the virus looks like. However, I don't think that the news will, uh, bring that fact um forward very very often i did think of one more thing i wanted to ask you because i'm curious a lot of people out there have college kids i have a college kid uh a lot of these colleges are starting to really get serious about a, a fall schedule that you know on the surface kind of makes a lot of sense really maybe come a little earlier uh don't have a fall break and when you uh either eat wrap it up around Thanksgiving or go home and finish the semester online between Thanksgiving and Christmas. Is that a, is that an overreaction? Is that just kind of being, being careful? Or does that make some sense? I mean, I think it's, I mean, do I think it's okay? Yeah, sure. I think it's okay. I do think it's an overreaction because somebody needs, we know this thing's been here since at least January. Right. I mean, that's that's a fact. It's probably been here earlier than that, but we know it's been here since at least January. And can somebody show me a dorm room track and trace study that showed a bunch of people got infected from a bunch of college kids? No, that's more than fair. It's a great it's a great point. It's one that I've wondered. I keep 
I've looked around the country. In fact, and I, I've done this. I've, I've said, show me, show me the the like Stockard, Stockard or Martin. These eleven story. I mean, it's a floating pe- It's a it's a petri dish. Yeah, exactly. Stockard. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I, I mean, my daughter Campbell lived at. I think you and I have talked about this. She lived at Reed Hall, which I think was nine floors. Uh, the, the, the building I think was built in the 1700s. Uh, <laughs> there was God only knows what all is in that building. And yet to my knowledge, there wasn't some breakout and those, if I can name buildings at, at Ole Miss and Arkansas, then they exist all over the country. All college campuses are basically the same. Um, you don't, you don't see that you don't. And I tell you what else you don't see, Michael, to my knowledge is I haven't seen like a breakout at the Kappa Sig house or the Fidelt house or the Thymu house or the KD house or the Kyo house or whatever fraternity exactly. or sorority makes you happy to name uh, Theta or Pi Phi or uh, uh, the, the, the uh, KAs, whatever. I mean, name your fraternity or sorority. I haven't heard about one of those breaking out in, a, in January or February or early March all over the country where you've got a bunch of kids that you know were not the greatest in the world at practicing hygiene, especially in a fraternity house. My God, the the hygiene's awful. So I mean, yeah. I mean, and, and I, it just you, didn't happen. The place you should have heard about it at was somewhere in New York, and you just didn't see it at a fraternity Columbia, at a fraternity NYU, house, right? Or at a dorm. None of those places yeah. had any of that, and and those were hard hit areas. And the the reason is is they're asymptomatic. I mean, and 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 they went home and probably got it from their parents when they got sent home from school <laughs> they didn't bring it home to their parents the exact opposite happened to them so that's that's really been you know one of my major points when i talk to friends and colleagues and stuff about it is you know if kids are in such a a bad way then then why haven't we seen outbreaks because we knew it yeah. was already here yeah we should have we should have seen it we should have seen it at colleges and universities way before uh y- y- you know now or, yeah. or in the or in the coming fall i should say yeah um so yeah, I, I think that's that's a great point, and um, it's one that that just it just kind of gets ignored. Yeah, it's fascinating stuff. You're right because they're cramming into elevators and they're hanging out eight people in a small dorm room, talking and laughing and 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 sharing each other's social media devices. And yeah, of course, it's 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 crazy when you think about it. Really, it's it, when you just kind of if you allow yourself to take a step back and say, okay, what is what is a dorm? What is a, a sorority? What does a sorority house look like at 10 o'clock on a Tuesday night? It's a bunch of girls hanging out in one small room. I mean, they're, they're hanging out and talking and laughing, and and there weren't breakouts. So, yeah, it's fascinating stuff. Listen, enjoy your family. Enjoy Colorado because when you get back to Ocean Springs, uh, you're, you're going to sweat. I, 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 remember, I remember in August of it was 2004, the Mobile Register sent me to, to uh, Wisconsin to do a big Brett Favre story. I was living in Mobile at the time, and I remember – Leaving Mobile, it was about 207 degrees, and I got to Wisconsin, and it was 60, and there was no humidity, and it was incredible. I drove down, uh, I drove from Milwaukee to Green Bay with the windows rolled down and just feeling the the, the air off of, I guess that was Lake Michigan, and uh, God, it felt so good, and Green Bay felt incredible, and at night, it was almost chilly, and I landed in Mobile, and before I could even get from the... <laughs> From the from the plane into the airport, I was dripping wet with sweat from the humidity. So uh, enjoy your time in Colorado, because my man, unless you stay there, it will end and you'll, uh, you'll sweat like a monster. So have fun. Yeah. All right, man. Thanks, Neil. Talk to you soon. Bye. All right. Bye. <clears throat> 
thanks to Dr. Cunningham for his time. Again, thanks to Will Salmon for his as well. Not sure exactly what the plan is for Wednesday. I know we're doing a live show on Thursday night. Maybe we're doing one tomorrow too. I'm not. I'm, I'm just not positive. We'll have uh, something for you later in the week. Zach Barry and I will be taping a uh, soft verbal podcast at some point this week as well. I'll have a beer garden for you. Uh, we're taping a Mind on My Money podcast here about an hour from as I'm speaking. So by the time uh, you hear this, that show will probably already be recorded as well. And uh, we'll tape episode number 101 of Greatest Pod in the South, presented by Automation and Control Systems, LLC. Uh, this weekend, episode number 100 was published on, uh, we taped it on Sunday. It's up at rebelgrove.com. It's also up wherever you listen to podcasts, iTunes, SoundCloud, whatnot. It's all there. 100 episodes of The Greatest Pod in the South with Jay Tate, Gabe DeArmond, and myself. So until uh, until tomorrow, that does it for this edition of the Oxford Exxon Podcast. Hope you enjoyed it, and we will talk to you again soon.